presence in this place. And Lord, we just thank you as, as I'm going to be ministering on the word of the Lord tonight. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving upon your people that we have eyes to see and ears to hear good soil, hearts and minds and lives that even now, Holy Spirit, as you move upon us, every one of us are ready to receive the word. And I thank you, Father, by the Holy Spirit that we're able to see and hear maybe what we couldn't before. Our minds are able to understand what would have been hard to understand. Our hearts are receptive to things. And, and Lord, that by the Holy Spirit, your word will go out as good seeds sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And I thank you, Lord, for the wind of your spirit carrying this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to and I thank you, Lord, where people are at, um, that anything that would try to hinder this, we take authority and we bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word. You will leave right now in Jesus' name and get away from this word. You're not going to hinder it in any way. The Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed, but you're not going to steal any of the seed. And Lord, I thank you that the word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. Lord, we thank you for it. We believe it. I thank you for hearing and answering the prayers over the word of the Lord being preached tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're dealing with Babylon, the harlot church. It's going to be a little bit different tonight, so be ready to take some notes. Make sure that you have notes, and those that join us online, just know that uh, these go up on the, the, the audio version of this will go up on sermon.net. Of course, it ends up on podcast on iTunes, but... On sermon.net, there's always notes that we have. So if you need the notes, I encourage you to get them because not only are they free, but it's a good reference point throughout the week to study as you listen. How many knows it's helpful sometimes to have some notes? You know, you're, you're listening to it, but you have it in front of you to read along and, and take notes. So here's how I felt, I felt the Lord wanted me to open this up. I'm going to talk just a little bit about the angels of the Lord in their role because we're living in times that the Bible said would be perilous and they're here. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And even a lot of the spiritual warfare and the resistance that's going against God's true people, there's a resistance that is trying to really wear out the saints. You know, Daniel predicted it. And I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but years ago I, I went on a sabbatical and I was really seeking the Lord. And this was long before the COVID thing. In fact, this was before the last presidential election, which was a mess. And I have my own opinion about that fiasco. But before all of that, this is something that happened. I want to just tell you this. Is now, years later, this makes a little more sense. But I was seeking the Lord, and God really wasn't saying anything at the time. And so I'm like, well, you know, just whatever I, I felt led to maybe read some things specifically out of the Bible. And God obviously speaks through his word, but I wasn't getting anything specific. But, you know, I received a, a fresh touch from the Lord and I was, I was departing from where I was. And I was, you know, I was happy. I had a good time in God's presence. And, but all of a sudden God spoke to me, but he, sh but he showed me something. And I mean, this was, this was as real as you standing in front of me. All of a sudden, I'm just driving down the road by myself praying. And it was like God just allowed me to see this in the spirit, I guess, just allowed it. But it, it was a God. How many knows God exposes the enemy, right? So do you remember the story? And by no means am I comparing myself to this. But do you remember the story, though, when Elisha kept telling the king of Israel where the enemy was going to go and what they were going to do? And the, the heathen king got mad. And he said, can't y'all, somebody tell me who is it that's for Israel in this room right now? I mean, he's probably meeting with his generals, you know. Who is the spy among us, you know? And, uh, and this one guy says, no, it's none of that. He said, they've got this prophet Elisha that tells the king what you're going to do. Well, anyway, I'm, not, I'm just saying that God will speak to all of us and expose the enemy if we ask him. That's all I'm saying. But I was driving down the road. And all of a sudden, it was like this opened to me. 
And this was interesting, and keep in mind what I'm preaching on, the whore Babylon thing. I heard this. I heard a loud feminine voice, and it was pure evil, and it yelled it like a, like a command was being issued. It sounded like a military command, and it yelled out. It said, kill the prophets, and I mean, I heard it loud. It kind of scared me. I just kind of jolted. And after that, I thought, well, that was interesting. But I knew when I heard it, I knew this. The Holy Spirit just showed me this too. It was not after just people that were true prophets of God, but anybody that would preach the true word of God. Because in Revelation, it says that uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Anybody that would truly preach the word without compromise would tell tell it like it is would deliver the word of the lord in other words they would pray and hear from god write a sermon and they would give the sermon from the lord this thing was after him well after that i didn't really know what to do with that so i just wrote it down in my journal and i prayed about it but i knew that something happened and um it wasn't long after that 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 whole fiasco with the presidential election happened. Well, what happened with that? There was a lot of people, prophetic communities, prophetic people that really felt that God, you know, was wanting Trump to be back in power, which may still happen. And what they saw may still come to pass. But all of a sudden, all these people started really trying to discredit and destroy the prophetic ministry in this nation is that just think about what i just said because that was i thought that was kind of interesting in light of that then also around the same time covid was hitting and people began to die in, a, in great numbers and there was now listen to what i'm saying there was a lot of really godly good men and women that were preachers that loved god they were older in years and they were among the generation that knew how to pray and knew the Lord, okay? They began to die off in great number. There was denominations that lost hundreds and hundreds of their pastors, just so you all know. And so I thought about that. I was like, this is really interesting looking back at it in retrospect about how much of a loss. And now, all these years later now, I really feel like the enemy's been trying to take out any type of voice that will tell it like it is and that will expose him there are certain voices that the enemy is okay with and there's even some voices that the enemy probably is behind it and encouraging it but when you're going to preach the true word of god and you're not going to hold back and you're going to hear from god and share what god is telling you you're a threat to the enemy and I knew that there was something trying to take out God's voice. And I believe this in the days to come. I'm not saying that it's going to happen next year. But see, when President Obama, I don't know why I'm sharing all this, but when he was in power, man, I could go on a rabbit trail about all the things that spiritually he did to damage this nation. But one of the things I found interesting was he was trying to, right now, the United States of America has basically the control of the Internet. I don't know if y'all knew that. So there's a lot of freedom of speech that should be there, and, and to a degree is, until you get into big tech and you get these liberals that don't want you to say anything against their opinion, like on Facebook. How many have been in Facebook jail yet? All right. You, that means you have an opinion that the liberals don't like, right? And then, of course, a few others like YouTube and all that. But by and large, the Internet has a lot of freedom of speech right now because it's under American control. Obama was trying to make it international. If it ever goes there to the U.N., then all the freedom of speech is going to be killed. And here's what will happen. Please hear me because I really feel this day will come. You need to go ahead and invest in a really good Bible or two that you have physically that you can study and maybe some study materials and things like that that you've been depending on the internet there's how many people out there and there's nothing wrong with it it's fine but how many people out there you're preaching and they're they're reading their bible on their phone well what's going to happen when that's gone 
Because I'm telling you, the day's coming when it's going to be gone. And so you might look ahead because something is out there trying to kill the voice of the Lord. It wants the Bible off the Internet. It wants true preachers that will preach the word removed from the Internet. It wants them off the radio, off the television. And so as we're dealing with these perilous times and we're dealing with what the Bible calls thick darkness, where there's been a rise in our nation of Satan worship and witchcraft and the occult, like no other time in American history, where there's been a rise of sexual immorality and sexual perversions, even targeting children like we've never seen. And there's been so much shedding of innocent blood. This has produced a, a very thick darkness and a lot of demonic activity. So with that said, the enemy is really trying to resist. But I have good news. God is going to help us, and he's going to send forth his angels that are going to help make the way. They will go places you can't go, and they'll do things that we can't do. When the angel of the Lord shows up, he can go spiritually and clear out any hindrance to the purposes of God out of the way and make sure that whatever God wanted to happen, it's going to happen whether the devil hates it, no matter who wants to stop it, the angel of the Lord can make sure that it still takes place. So God, how many knows God's interested in us fulfilling our destiny? How many knows God's interested in the harvest of souls in these last days? God's interested in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. God's interested in a bride being made ready to meet the Lord in the air. And the devil's doing everything he can to stop that. But it's not, God's going to send his muscle and he's going to push it through. And I don't know if you ever knew this, if you've studied this in scripture or not. But you know why the devil cannot destroy Israel? No matter what he tries. Was it 500 rockets the other day launching into Israel? Yet Israel's still going strong. Listen, the devil can try what he wants. But let me just tell you something from the Bible. God put Michael the archangel dwells in the nation of Israel. In case you didn't know that, he's there. Do you think he's going to let the devil destroy Israel? Why is God interested in Israel? Because he has a covenant there and Jesus Christ is coming to that land. Jesus Christ is coming to Jerusalem. And the devil is going to do everything he can to try to stop that, but he's not going to be able to. Why? Because God has already put an angel there to make sure that he can't. There was one time, this is a true story. I know some of you may, may not have heard some of these stories, but they were launching all these things in Israel years, years ago. And one of the, the enemy that was launching this, the terrorist or whatever, they reported and it even got in the news somehow. They said their God is fighting against us because the rockets were blowing up midair. It was hitting some invisible thing and just blowing. And there was another time there was a story about the enemy attacking Israel and they said, some of the people that were the ground forces fighting Israel said, where are all these people that are just wearing white coming from? So God is going to defend Israel, but let's get off that for a second. God's going to defend his people. God's interested in, in the book of Ecclesiastes talks about People's days being cut short, it can happen. But God's interested that we fulfill the number of our days. He's interested that we see what we're supposed to see. Though it may seem delayed, though it may seem resisted, and the devil may do everything he can to stop it, if we'll stay in faith and keep praying it through, God will send his angels to make it happen. And I think about, and I'm going to get off this in a moment, but I think about Peter, you know, the devil had already killed James. And, you know, Peter, James, and John, the devil killed James, and they had arrested Peter, and the early church was, was scared that they were going to kill Peter, and here they are trying to assassinate their leaders, and they gathered together and really began to earnestly pray and cry out to God, I'm sure fasting, and God sent an angel. How many have read the story? The angel showed up to Peter in prison. Now, think about the story, and I'll get off of it. This angel walks into Peter's prison. Peter's in a prison cell with a locked door with two guards, one on each side. He's chained to him. How many knows that that would be a difficult situation to get out of? Even if you're a smart guy, 
even if you're a Houdini, right? That would be a difficult thing to get out of. And so Peter's sitting there chained to these guys in a locked prison cell, probably in a locked prison, probably with guards outside the prison, I would assume. This angel walks in, walks up to Peter and kicks him on the side, says, get up. And when Peter woke up and got up, his chains fell off. The prison door just opened in front of the angel. And Peter just is walking with the angel out there, probably thinking he's dreaming. Gets outside, the angel walks him out there, basically says, go home. Peter gets out there, the angel disappears, and he realizes, I'm not dreaming, this actually happened. And he goes running home. God sent one angel and turned an impossible situation around in a matter of minutes. God's going to help us out. The spiritual warfare is on the rise, but God's going to send his muscle to help us. And so let me read a few of these things and, and give you a, a couple points I want to leave you with. But Hebrews 1.14, are not all the angels ministering spirits sent out by God to serve, accompany, and protect those who will inherit salvation? So they're sent to help us. And then if you read it on, you skip a few verses down. It says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? But escape there means to, to be delivered. And if we ignore such a great salvation, that word there implies deliverance. What it's saying is, is that there's going to be times that we are in impossible situations and God will send his angel to deliver us out of the impossible situation. And there, there, we look at this sometimes and we think, how in the world could this harvest come in? How could this revival open up? How can this happen? Let me tell you, God can simply send forth his angels to clear away the darkness and open a door, and it will happen. And then also Psalm 34, 7. Did you guys know that if you fear the Lord, that the angel Lord encamps around you, and he will rescue you, that means deliver you. So let me read it to you, Psalm 34, 7. The angel Lord encamps around those that fear him with awe-inspired reverence and worship him with obedience. And this is the angel rescues, delivers each of them. So those of you, River of Life, that are God's covenant people that fear the Lord and live for him, the angels are around you, you just don't know it. And they will deliver you. And then it says in Psalm 103, 20, Bless the Lord, all his angels, mighty in strength, who carry out his word, who, listen to this, hearken to the voice of his command, to God's command. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones, who do his bidding, his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones, who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. So the angels are not here to serve you per se but they're here to do god's will and they hearken to the word of the lord so when you begin to speak out loud i'm telling you what i'm saying is important when you begin to speak out loud the word of the lord the angels hear the word of the lord and they enforce the word of the lord they don't enforce what you necessarily want but they enforce the word of the lord Angels are on assignment. Let me, let me give you a story to illustrate this. Back in 9-11, how many remember 9-11? Old enough to remember 9-11. You guys don't remember. These guys are too young. Okay, anyway, let's move on. So you got some young people here. Anyway, 9-11, whenever that happened, President Bush at the time had put some military in the, um, well, we went to, to the airport and I remember there was these armed military guys and fatigues that were carrying you know automatic weapons and I remember seeing this guy you know it's, it's always a little disconcerting we walk by somebody that has this serious countenance and they got a big military weapon you know and I was just said something to him you know and he couldn't care less if I was there he didn't care what I had to say if I was saying hi that guy just didn't care anything about that what was he doing he was there to make sure there wasn't anything going to happen in that airport it wasn't supposed to. He didn't care about me as an individual, really. He didn't care if I said hi to him or whatever. 
He was there on assignment. Listen, these angels are not, they're not human. They don't get their feelings hurt. They're not lovey-dovey. They're not like to talk to, and they're certainly not to worship. They're there on assignment, and they're going to make sure that whatever the devil wants to happen isn't going to happen. They're going to make sure, though, what God wants to happen is going to happen. So our responsibility is to be walking in faith and speaking the word of God, and they're going to back up God's word. They're going to do God's bidding. Then we need to pray into that because the angels will go through and make sure that what the enemy wants, even tonight, the angels go through and make sure anything that the enemy wants to happen is not going to happen. But they're here to make sure that God's will is going to be done in this place tonight. Does that make sense? You may not see them, but they're there. So let me give you a couple things about the angels. Number one, they're sent to God's blood covenant people. They're around our lives. They're not at work with the heathen. They're there to watch over God's blood covenant people. Number two, as I've been saying, they hearken to the word of the Lord. So speak the word of the Lord out loud and keep praying about that because just like Abraham prayed and God sent angels to get Lot and his family out of Sodom before it was destroyed, it was 100% the prayers and the blessings of God on Abraham that sent those angels. And let me tell you, you may be concerned about your loved ones, but you need to pray about them and pray that God send the angel of the Lord to deliver them because that will help them come unto salvation. And before somebody says, well, wait a second, what about Matthew 13, 39? The end of the age is the harvest and the harvesters are the angels. They're going to help make sure that those people are protected from a premature death and that they're going to wander into the will of God and find salvation. They'll make sure that they find their way to the church service they're supposed to be at or find their way to listening to some radio station and get saved or something. The angels of the Lord will make sure that those people you're praying over end up finding that path that leads them to the Lord. Does that make sense? And they're going to make sure the devil isn't able to take them out before their time. And then number three, the angels of the Lord are interested in the plans of Satan being canceled and God's will established. So again, as you read Psalm 103.20, it says they hearken to the word of the Lord and they do God's bidding. So begin to pray about that. Lord, I thank you for sending your angels that will push through the will of God. So as we get into this tonight, just know that God has angels assigned to you to be around you, to watch over you, and they're going to make sure that things are the way they're supposed to be. When I take communion daily and I'm speaking out the word of the Lord, I have a sense of knowing that I am a child of blood covenant, a son of Abraham. As I take communion, that's my covenant meal, and as I'm speaking out the word of the Lord, I have a sense of knowing that the angels of the Lord recognize me as a son of blood covenant, as a son of Abraham, and that the word of God is being spoken out. They have a, I have a sense of knowing that they're moving that forward. And let me tell you, if we'll stay in faith and our mouths are in agreement with the word of God, then things will have a forward momentum. So don't say things that sabotage what God wants to do. Speak faith. All right, so let's move on from that. Revelation chapter 17. Now I want you to notice as we've gone through this, 17 and 18, and we talked about this harlot of Babylon. The Bible, in some translations, says the whore of Babylon or the, the great prostitute. And it has to do with that sexual uh, innuendo there really has to do with idolatry. And so... Notice, though, that this is a woman and not a man, which is kind of interesting. And I'm going to show you some things maybe you haven't seen tonight because I, b I believe this, that before we move into the seven-year tribulation time, the Bible calls it the days of Jacob's trouble, not the days of the church's trouble. And so there was 70 weeks declared for Israel, 69 weeks took place already. The 70th week is that seven-year tribulation. 
and it has to do with the nation of Israel, okay? So before that time, God's going to take his remnant bride, the, those that have made themselves ready, that have garments without spot or blemish, they have extra oil, they're living the life, they're ready. He's going to take those people out. I'm just telling you, they're going to be caught away to meet him in the air and go to the marriage supper. But after that, there's going to come into a time where this seven-year period is going to be about Israel, okay? So there's going to be the Antichrist will sign a peace treaty with Israel. I personally believe it might look like this. So just let me give you an example. The Gog-Magog war happens. Israel feels they don't have hardly any friends in the world. They're very distraught. And in that condition, this politician comes to power, which is trying to unite the nations, that's trying to get people to lay down weapons, and wants to make a peace treaty with Israel because of what happened. The Gog-Magog war seemed to center against Israel. And so he's going to make a peace treaty, and in that peace treaty will be that Israel's able to retake the temple mound and begin to, you know, finish the building of the temple, but reinstitute the offering. So they're going to be doing again the, the sacrificial system that was under Moses. And so when that happens, uh, we know that three and a half years into it, then the Antichrist will bomb the... I believe it'll be the Vatican, which I'll get to later, but it's going to bomb that religious institution that the whore of Babylon was connected to, that one world religion, and he's going to set himself up in that temple, cutting off the sacrifices. All of that is gone. The one world religious system is destroyed. He's going to set himself in the temple, and this is what the Bible calls the abomination that causes desolation. That's what this is. He's going to set himself, this is an abomination, in the temple, and he's going to put his idol next to him, and he's going to demand that Israel and the nations worship him as God Almighty and worship his idol, which may be Baphomet that's similar to what uh, the uh, satanic temple is carrying around to different areas. But regardless of whatever it is, he's going to demand worship. And when Israel refuses to worship him, then he's going to unleash his army against Israel, and that's the desolation part. And he's going to be able to kill two-thirds of them. But there's a third of Israel that God is going to protect them supernaturally. It says in the Bible he would give them wings or whatever, but he's going to kind of carry them. But it implies, in my mind, angels, again, sent to make sure that they are safely taken probably to Petra, which is in Jordan, and they're sealed off there because that group of people, when Jesus Christ actually comes, there has to be an Israel, there has to be a Jerusalem, there has to be a temple, and there has to be a remnant of Jews that survived it. And so God, Jesus is going to send his angels, and they're going to go gather the third of the Jews unto him, and they're going to look on him whom they pierced, and they're going to realize he is who he says he is, and they're going to weep. But they're going to obviously accept him and believe in him. And when they do that, the prophecy Paul gave, all of Israel will be saved at that time. And it will literally be like life from the dead. And it will release resurrection life in the whole world because the curse will be lifted that Adam brought on the world and Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years, and it's going to be much like it was in the Garden of Eden. And I don't want to rabbit trail in that too much. But the point is, is that this has to do with the nation of Israel, the seven-year tribulation. So I want you to notice, if you read Revelation, you see Israel as being this woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. Remember this? And the 12 stars, and she's up in the sky. But then you see the harlot. So you see these two female figures. So let's compare the two for a moment. Number one, where are they? Well, Israel is seen in heaven representing like a covenant with God. It's heavenly. The harlot is seen upon the waters. It's earthly. Number two, what about them being like a mother? Israel is the mother of the man-child, the Christ, but this Jezebel spirit, this whore of Babylon, is seen as the mother of harlots. 
Number three, what are they clothed with? Israel is clothed with the sun, which represents like the glory of God, but the harlot clothes herself with counterfeit priestly garments, a vestige of like purple, scarlet, and gold. There's no blue, which implies heavenly. So remember that because there's certain religious groups like the Catholic or the Eastern Orthodox, etc., that put a lot of emphasis on the outward vestige of what is worn by priests, okay? And I believe that that's connected. There's going to be a leadership, a false prophet for sure, but a leadership that's going to wear some type of vestige that looks very priestly, and they look like the lamb, so they're going to look Christian. They're not going to look Buddhist or something. They're going to look like they represent the lamb, but speak like the dragon. It's a priesthood. Remember this. And then the identity. Israel was seen upward with the sun, moon, and stars heavenly while the harlot reigns over the kings of the earth. What about the enemy? Israel's enemy was who? The dragon. What's the harlot's enemy? Remember the harlot was the one that had the one world religious system, the uniting of the religions, the ecumenical movement, the enemy of this harlot will end up being the ten kings that serve the Antichrist because the Antichrist and those ten kings are going to bomb this harlot and destroy it. What about relationally? Israel's hated by the world but loved by God. The harlot is adored by the world. How are they sustained? Israel is sustained by God supernaturally. Remember the third that are carried by wings to a safe place while the harlot is sustained for a time by the dragon. What about the headdress on the head area? Israel has a crown of 12 stars, which represents, 12 represents government, while the harlot has what on the head? Mystery Babylon. What about status? Israel is seen like widowed and divorced, but the harlot claims to not be a widow. It's interesting. And then what about the final location? Israel will be in the New Jerusalem eventually, but the harlot will become a haunt for demons. That's an interesting study, isn't it? So the harlot, obviously, if you think about it, just like God has a covenant people, I want you to picture this for a moment. God has a covenant people. And he even said that in the first part of Revelation that he would send his angels and that they would be like a mark on the forehead of his covenant people. Do y'all remember that? We're not, we're not talking about the mark of the beast here. We're talking about a mark from God. A lot of people haven't read Revelation and studied it like they should have. God's actually going to send his angels. There's going to be some kind of a supernatural mark that you can't see physically but will help seal them. Why is it on the head? I think because it's going to protect our minds from deception. But God's going to mark his people. How many knows that God knows who are his and they're marked by him? He's given us his Holy Spirit. Okay, we're marked. But then also, Satan is going to have his bride and he's also going to mark them, but their mark is going to be the mark of the beast. So let me show you a couple more things. I'm going to talk about the Antichrist before we close. But Revelation 17, verse 9, it says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. And this is what it knows about the vision, the seven heads. Now, we talked about the enemies, but I want to take this a little bit different. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. Now, what I'm going to say here is an indisputable fact. Even back in ancient times, people that wrote about Rome have referenced Rome as being the seven hills that Rome sits on. There's no doubt in my mind, scripturally, that this is a direct reference to Rome. And then it goes on, and it makes it even more clear that it's speaking of Rome. There, there's really no way that you can see this any other way unless you just don't want to see it. It says, and there are seven kings, 
Five have fallen. Remember, it was Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medes and Persians, and the Grecian Empire. Five have already fallen. And then it says one is right now. Who is that at the time of this writing? Rome. And another, a seventh will come. That's the future Babylon with the Antichrist. And when he does, he must remain for a little while. A little while. But listen, this is a reference to Rome. So to me, I've studied this for so many years, and this is just my opinion, but I feel that Rome, I feel the Vatican, and I feel that type of a Roman Catholic uh, priesthood, if you will, is going to have something to do with the one world religious system. This is my opinion, and I could be wrong. We'll see. Maybe it'll play out differently. But I believe you see a lot of nuances here about a great emphasis put on vestige, outward appearance, that you wear these fancy garments, and the reference that the false prophet would look like the lamb. Muslims do not fit that criteria. Buddhists don't. Hindus don't. What looks like the lamb? It would be somebody that's supposed to represent Christ. But yet, he doesn't represent Christ. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's actually, he, he speaks as the dragon. So you have this reference of the seven hills of Rome. You have a reference of it being looking Christian. And then you have a reference directly to Rome here. Just my opinion I think that it's going to have a lot to do with the Vatican. And the Vatican has been, for many years, going back to the 80s, has been uniting other religions. Even Pope John Paul, back in the day, I believe in the 80s, actually was doing things like having uh, Muslims come and pray at the Vatican. He was going to Buddhist rituals and had Native American rituals, the burning of the smudge body. He was doing all these things to help bring the religions together. Listen, if we're supposed to be Christ... We have to, all of us in this room understand this. There is only one way to salvation. All these other religions aren't going to get you there. The only thing that's going to get you to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ, the cross. He is the way and that's it. It's very exclusive. So this whole movement to bring all these religions together is a very satanic thing and it's very deceptive. It sends a message that all these different roads lead to God, but that's not true. All right, so this is just the way I see it, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. But the false prophet eventually will be somebody like the Pope. It may not be the Pope himself, but it will be somebody like the Pope that looks like the Lamb. I'm going to tell you, I, I say this in love, but I remember seeing the Pope travel here a few years ago. How many remember that? He was on the news, and people, people were crying and acting like, he was Christ in the flesh. I mean, they basically were worshiping the guy. And, they, and he looked at me, and they had tears streaming down and just oohing and on about this person. Listen, he's just a man. He's not Jesus Christ. But they, that's the way many Catholics view the Pope. It's like he is Christ. And so that's another thing that I'm concerned about because the Bible says that the Antichrist will, or the false prophet will look like the Lamb. And so it's going to have an appearance of Christianity. And so just keep your eyes open. We'll see as it goes how it's eventually going to look. But I'm trying to give you some things to think about. Rome is going to be significant. The Vatican will be significant. There's going to be a, a real emphasis on outer vestige, the way that they look like priests. They look like they're spiritual leaders. And also, there's going to be something Christian about it that looks Christian, rather. I should say it that way. And then Revelation 18, 23. And then whenever um, Babylon eventually falls, it says, And never again will the light of a lamp shine in you. Never again will the voice of a bridegroom and a bride be heard in you. For your merchants were the great and prominent men of the earth because all the nations were deceived and misled by your sorcery, your magic spells and your poisonous charm in the Amplified. And in Babylon was found what? The blood of the prophets and the saints, God's people, and all of those who had been slaughtered on the earth. You remember how I opened this series somewhat? I was talking in one of the sermons about 
how it begins it began rather with Cain and Abel you had that generation after the fall that there was a like Cain Cain was religious but he was not right with God and that type of religion produced a murderer and down through the ages there's been a lot of religion that has murdered God's true people that's what Jesus condemned the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees you remember this he said to them he said look you say that if we were alive during the days of the prophets we wouldn't have killed the prophets he said then fill up in this generation and he rebuked them because he knew Jesus was saying this I'm the greatest prophet that ever was and you want to kill me does this make sense so there's always been this religion that, is, that doesn't really know God that wants to murder the true people of God. The same spirit that was in the Pharisees and Sadducees that were so religious. They wore the garments. They looked religious. Are you seeing something here connected to what I've been reading? They outwardly looked like they were of God, yet they wanted to kill the Son of God. They were actually a murderer. That's the same spirit that's going to be so pervasive. They're going to be religious people, but they're going to hate the true people of God, and they're going to want to kill the prophets of God. They want, want to kill those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ that will truly preach his word without compromise. They're going to want them dead. And that's what's coming in the future. And it's already, you can see it simmering out there. But then also Abel, he was the one that, that offered the right offering. He knew God. He had a relationship. He, he was a, a son of covenant with God. And he was a martyr. So you're going to see in the days to come an increase of religion that's going to come up under the jurisdiction one day of the false prophet. But it will want to murder God's true people. But you're also going to see God's true people, and you're going to see a lot of martyrdom in that. And that was the great rebuke here, is that in Babylon was found the blood of the saints. And so God destroyed Babylon. What does it mean that it becomes a haunt for demons and there'll never be light in you again? Well, let me explain what that means. God's going to destroy all of that Babylon on the earth. I mean, buildings are going to come down. There's going to be widespread destruction and death. But it's like every person that was a part of Babylon are going to end up dying and going down into hell. And in that place, Babylon is going to be erased from the earth and dropped down into a place where the light will never shine again. It will be a haunt for demons. And Jesus Christ is going to step into the earth and take over. Amen. How many are looking for that day? So let me talk just briefly about the Antichrist and then we'll pray. Is this helping anybody today? Regardless, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm just giving you information. You may see a few things different than me and that's fine. And I'm not even saying that I'm right about every single detail. I'm just giving information. And what I want is people to know what the Bible says so that their eyes will be open to see some things. When it starts happening and you see the false prophet emerging and you start seeing that religious system come up, I want you to have eyes to look at it and say, that is what the Bible talked about right there. I want you to have eyes of understanding, okay? So I'm sharing these things so that you can do your own research and you can draw your conclusions but give you at least something that will give you a sense of discernment about what's about to happen. So now that I'm going to move off the false prophet and on to the Antichrist. So the Antichrist will be a politician. His goal will be to unite the um, different nations politically. He's going to be able to unite the world's military. He'll be able to unite the governments. And he's going to be able to, to a large degree, control the laws of the nations. Okay, and I believe that you'll see the day in America and, and hopefully we'll be raptured before a lot of these things, I hope. But eventually you're going to see like United Nation p police and military on our soil and other nations. Because the nations are going to come up under the rule of the Antichrist eventually. It will happen, the Bible says so. Now, there, most of the nations will 
come in alignment. They'll come in league with him. But there's going to be three specifically that he will have to conquer them and bring them under submission. But that will still happen. So what are we looking for with the arrival of the Antichrist? All right. When Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but God prophesied to Adam and Eve. He said, listen, there's going to come a Messiah from the woman. So it's not going to be directly from heaven like an angel. He was saying that I'm going to send a Messiah that's going to be birthed through the womb of a woman. And then he said that the serpent will try to will strike his heel that's the cross but the of course the messiah will crush the head of the serpent so there's been since that time there's almost kind of been like a seed of the serpent in the earth a seed of evil darkness iniquity lawlessness that's been there but like a train track there's also been a seed of the righteous and those have been going down through time and in the last days all of that's going to come to the fullness like Everything's going to climax in that time. And so what did Satan do whenever God told him that it would come through the woman? The very next generation, think about this for a moment. I'm going to give you something. I'll get off of it, but I want you to think about this. The devil knew that there would be a Messiah come through the woman. And God was saying this to Adam and Eve. And so when Satan saw Eve give birth to sons, and he saw Abel, who was a righteous one, who was really seeking God. Satan said, this could be him. I need to kill him. Does that make a little more sense why he was targeted? And then, as time went on, he knew that it was going to come through humanity, through the seed of the woman. And so he began that whole thing about bringing angels down to procreate with women and pollute the human DNA. And God had to flood the earth. Then, whenever Noah came on the scene, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, whenever Shem, eventually Abraham, God singled out Abraham. And so Satan began to target that. And let me tell you, this isn't in the Bible, but in some good writings that I believe are probably true. Nimrod was an evil ruler of that day. He tried to kill Abraham, but God saved Abraham. I believe that's probably true because God, the devil knew God had a special call on Abraham. And then later on, as time went on, God told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land of Canaan. And that was 400 years later. Listen, the devil had time to try to landmine all of that area. Did you know right now that Russia has landmined parts of the Ukraine? It's going to take them decades to get all that out of there. The devil knew God told him, uh, told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. So the devil goes in there and fills Canaan with all types of Satan worship, occult practices, violence. The Nephilim were in there. There were giants there. He booby-trapped that land so much, he thought, surely this will prevent Abraham's seed from coming in here. But yet they still came in and conquered and destroyed the nations before him. But it was, that land was targeted. And then later on, when King David came to power, and it was prophesied through him, through that bloodline, Satan began to target David's bloodline. Do you remember in the days of Jezebel and Athaliah, she killed almost every descendant of David. Do you see how Satan has been watching this? And, he's try if he can and that's why the devil targets the nation of Israel so viciously now, because he knows that when Jesus comes, he's coming to that landmass. Satan has been trying to stop this coming Messiah. And the ultimate attempt, obviously, was to kill Christ on the cross. But the Bible says if the devil had realized what he was doing, he would have never done it. Because by crucifying Christ, he actually sealed his own defeat. And he fulfilled that prophecy that you would strike his heel, but he would crush your head. So to this day... Satan is still trying to steal, kill, and destroy and stop the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth and to snuff out God's people. So let me give you some things about the Antichrist before we close. The names that the Bible gives him are 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. It calls him the son of perdition, which means destruction. 
He's a son of destruction. It also calls him a man of lawlessness, or that could be translated man of sin. But we call him the Antichrist, which is a good name for him. But really, the Bible refers to him as the son of perdition and the man of lawlessness. He is a physical man. He's not going to be an institution or a religion or, uh, you know, something else. Like some, some people even thought he would be something mechanical or something like that. No, he's going to be a physical man. And here's some names that the Bible gives him or at least alludes to him. And I'm going to read them quickly. You need the notes because the scriptures are in them. The Bible calls him the adversary. Psalms 74, 8 through 10, Isaiah 59, 19, Lamentations 4, 11 through 12, Amos 3, 11. But it also calls him the Assyrian. Now that's interesting because it seems that Nimrod was the first world, rule, world ruling dictator after the flood. He was the one that built the Tower of Babel. And he was a ruthless man. And the Bible seems to indicate that he was an Assyrian. That's interesting. And he was a picture and type of the Antichrist. And here's another interesting thought. And I think it's Isaiah 50. I may be wrong. But it refers to the fact that, you know, the Pharaoh that Moses had to come up against? That specific Pharaoh that Moses had to say, let my people go in the Exodus. It seems to say that he was actually an Assyrian. That's interesting. But anyway, it refers to the Antichrist as the Assyrian. Isaiah 10, 5, Micah 5, 5 through 6. It also calls him Belial in Nahum 1.15, which is Belial is a reference to lawlessness. It calls him the bloody and deceitful man, Psalm 5, 6. The branch of the terrible one, Isaiah 25, 5. The chief prince in Exodus, uh, or yeah, Exodus 38, 20. The crooked serpent. Now listen, that's a reference to Leviathan. The crooked serpent is Leviathan. And what else looks, this is the perfect description. The beast that's coming out of the water with seven heads and ten horns. Leviathan. Okay. That is the spirit of pride. And that spirit of Leviathan is, I mean, absolutely going to possess the Antichrist. But he's called the crooked serpent. In Job 26, 13, Isaiah 27, 1. He's called the cruel one in Jeremiah 30, 14, and 23. He's called the destroyer of the Gentiles in Jeremiah 4, 7. The head over many countries in Psalm 110, verse 5. The head over the northern army. He's alluded to that in Joel 2, 20. The idle shepherd in Zechariah 11, 16 through 17. The king of princes in Hosea 8, 10. The king of Babylon. Isaiah 14, 11 through 20. He's called the little horn. How many remember that in Daniel 7, 8 and 8, 9? The man of the earth, Psalm 10, 18. Merchant with balances of deceit, Hosea 12, 7. He's called a mighty man in Psalm 52, 1. He's referred to as a prince that shall come in Daniel 9, 26. The prince attire, Ezekiel 28, 2 through 10. The profane, wicked prince of Israel. Now, I'm going to get to this as I close. He's going to have a lot to do with Israel. Ezekiel 21, 25 to 27. A proud man. There's Leviathan. Habakkuk 2, 5. God's, or the rod of God's anger. Isaiah 10, 5. The son of the morning. That's a false Messiah reference right there. The son of the morning. Isaiah 14, 12. He's called a destroyer. In Isaiah 16, 4 through 5, he's called a vile person in Daniel eleven twenty one, 21, and a violent man in Psalm 140, 11, and a willful king in Daniel eleven thirty six. 36. But what I wanted to close with was the fact that he was called a profane, wicked prince of Israel. It seems to me, in my opinion, that this particular... Uh, the Antichrist in particular, I believe personally that he will be Jewish, at least on his mother's side, because I don't think that Israel would accept him if he wasn't. And he's going to be appear to many in regards to the nation of Israel as a Messiah, because they're going to say to themselves, who else could bring peace like this one has? 
Who else could oversee the rebuilding of the temple, the reinstituting of the offerings and the sacrifices? Jesus said, I came in my name and you did not receive me. But he said, another will come in his name and him you will receive him. It implies in the Greek another Jew. So see, I believe personally that he's going to, at least on his mother's side, be Jewish. And he's going to be seen, it's Satan's counterfeit. The dragon will be like God the Father, a counterfeit. And this is going to be like God the Son, but it's a counterfeit, like a son of Satan. He's going to be physically represented by the you know, Jewish and accepted by the, by the Jewish people. But see, where he crosses the line, he is seen like a Messiah figure to many. I believe this. They will. They'll accept him. I think many will say he is a Messiah. But whenever he sets himself in the temple and says, worship me as God, they're not going to do that. So that's where he crosses the line. He goes too far now. But I do believe that there will be a strong connection with him and the nation of Israel. So I want to close with prayer, but I want you to really keep your eyes open in the days to come because there's going to be this emerging of a harlot church, a religious system that will accept everything except the truth. Let me say it again. There's a coming religious system that will begin to unify and come together and they will worship together. They'll pray together. It'll be very new agey. It'll be very witchy. It'll be weird, but they'll all come together. And the only ones that will be excluded will be true Christians because they'll hate them and want them dead. Let me say that again. They will hate them and want them dead. And there'll come a time under the false prophet and the antichrist that they will be allowed to kill true Christians. The Bible says this, that they will be killed because of their faith. And then they're put underneath the altar and they're given white garments. But they're the Lord's. But they had to die a martyr's death. But these people, this religious system, will be just like the Pharisees. They, they will seem like they're of God. They'll say, peace, peace. They'll, they'll want people to come together. They'll have an appearance of religion. They'll have an appearance of love. Yet they're murderers. And they hate God's true people. That's about to come. And then also look in that system for an emerging leader that will be the false prophet who will be able to bring them together. And he will have supernatural power by Satan to be able to perform signs and wonders publicly. Watch for it because it's coming. This guy will be able to perform signs and wonders publicly. And it says through the magic arts, through sorcery, he's going to deceive the nations. He's going to be able to call down fire in front of people. Somehow, supernaturally, he's going to be able to make that image of the beast, which is just an idol. He's going to be able to make that thing talk. It says it in the Bible. As weird as that sounds to me and you, that's going to happen. He's going to have supernatural power about him. This, this unification of the religions will have a supernatural power. And, the, and then it's going to join like a coalition. It's going to come together and align itself with this emerging Antichrist. This guy is going to be handsome and brilliant. He's a politician. He's going to be wearing a nice suit. He's going to be very charismatic. The world's going to love him. He's going to be interviewed on CNN. Nobody doubts that, right? He's going to be beloved by the world. And the nations of the world, there's going to be 10 specific ones, 10 specific kings that will really come into alignment with him strong alignment with him and through that he's going to rule the entire world but his power base will be europe and the middle east that'll be his power base but he will align himself with this false prophet the false prophet will be encouraging people to look to the antichrist and even worship him the false prophet's going to be like his spokesman see religion 
and politics will once again come together. And it will be a very powerful, supernaturally powerful force in the earth. And because people did not love the truth. See, I'm up here preaching the truth. But there's people out there that don't want to hear it anymore. And people that do not love the truth. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, they, God's going to quit messing with them at some point. He'll keep giving them the truth, giving them the truth, giving them the truth, and finally they just don't want to hear it anymore. He says, fine. And they're going to be given over to a delusion to believe a lie. And they're going to be the ones that are going to align themselves with the false prophet and this weird new agey, new world religious thing that's going to emerge, and they're going to be all wrapped up in it and they're going to be taking the mark of the beast, which will be either on the right hand or the forehead, and you won't be able to buy or sell with it. Now, some people believe the mark will come before the seven-year tribulation. Others believe during the middle of it. And, but the Bible doesn't say real clearly when. It could even be not too in the distant future that this starts coming. But there'll be a mark that you will not be able to buy or sell without it. And through that, the false prophet will control, will control people. So look for it because you're going to see this coming in the days to come. Please hear me. I don't believe it's far off. It'll surprise me. I'm not saying it won't happen because I don't know the exact day or time, and I'm not making predictions. It'll surprise me if we even get into the 2030s before there's a rapture. I think the rapture is not far off. But here's the good news. God's going to send his angels and God's going to give us a revival and there's going to be a supernatural harvest. And in that revival, God's going to help us get everything right and ready to meet him in the air, okay? But we need to be busy because right now, what God's wanting for us is to not have a, well, I'm just going to go off and, and be a hermit and I'm going to hide away and then I'm just looking for the Lord to get me out of here. God doesn't want us living like that. He wants us to be busy for his kingdom. He wants us to see the greatest revival the world's ever seen, see the greatest harvest of souls you could ever imagine, and to be busy about the things of God. The Bible says in the last days they'd be terrible, but Daniel says those that really know their God would do great exploits. God wants us to see great exploits. He wants us to see Book of Acts Christianity. And I believe he's going to send his angels to help make sure that that happens. And we're going to be ready to meet him in the air. And once he snatches away his bride, I'm going to tell you, all that's been restraining will be removed. And everything's going to go quickly after that. And Israel is going to deal with that 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation. And things will go quick. And here's what the Bible teaches us. And let's pray after this. It says this, the generation that sees all these things, it says that generation will not pass away till the Lord comes. What that means is when you see all these things happening, and I believe we're seeing them now, that everything is going to happen quickly because it's time now. So it's, it's winding down. So what I'm saying to people is this, don't play games. Make sure that everything is right between you and the Lord. Make sure that you're, you're earnestly praying for your loved ones to get saved because let me tell you, we're at a time right now where if they're not going to get right with God quickly, they could be in the tribulation saints. You see what I'm saying? This is not far off. You're not looking at 50 years from now. You're looking at probably within the next decade or so. I believe the coming of the Lord is very near this is a time to get close to the Lord. And don't fall into the Laodicean trap. The Bible warns the last day church would be like Laodicea, would be lukewarm, and God would want to vomit them out of his mouth because they make him sick. He can't stand lukewarmness. I don't want to be somebody that is so spiritually dead and dry and lukewarm that I lose my fire and, I, and I'm bored with the things of God. Listen, I love you. If that's you, you need to ask the Lord's forgiveness and get back into the fires of revival because I'm not sure the Lord's coming for some 
person that claims to be uh, that you know claims to be some Christian, but they're just bored to death with God. There's something wrong there, friend. Amen. How many would agree with that? The bride, when it's time for the bride to to be with her bridegroom, she's excited about it. She's ready to, and that's what Jesus is coming for. He's coming for a bride that loves him and is on fire for God and, and ready for him to come. And they're crying out, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. A bride without spot or blemish. So if there's anything in our lives, make sure that you forgive people. I don't care what they do. I've been burned by people. I've been misunderstood. I've been betrayed. But I choose to let it all go because I don't want anything between me and God. You know what I'm saying? God will deal with them. Also, make sure that you're quick to ask forgiveness for any sin, no matter how big or how small. Sometimes people blow it, and what do they do? They want to go off and get away from God because they're ashamed. That's the worst thing you can do. If you sin or you mess up, you may blow it big time. You need to run toward God and say, please forgive me and go toward him. Don't get away from church. Get to church. And let God forgive you and cleanse you and wash you. But let's get everything right with the Lord and get on fire for God. God's about to open a door supernaturally for the harvest to come in. I'm just telling you. There's a revival coming. And I want to be right in the middle of it. How about you? So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for your word tonight, Lord. We love your word. And, Lord, help us to be ready for the days ahead that we have eyes to see, Lord. We have discerning eyes to recognize these things as they're about to start emerging. We see it. We know it's happening. All these beginning of sorrows, these birth pangs, it's a rumbling. You can sense it. It's there. And, Lord, I thank you for helping us to have eyes and ears of the Spirit, to have scriptural knowledge of the Word of God. This is the time like Enoch. Enoch was raptured. Enoch was a picture and type of what we're supposed to be. The Bible says about Enoch, he walked with God and then he was gone. Lord, help us to walk so closely with you that we have an intimate relationship with you. We're living a holy life. And then when it's time, we're going to be removed, just caught out. It's a suddenly like Enoch. Lord, help us. We pray. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. All right, I want to pray for people before we go tonight. How many just want a fresh touch from the Lord? And you.